to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Are you suffering from low energy? Did you know that there's five frequently overlooked causes that you can start acting on now? Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show, hosted by a medical doctor with a different spin on women's health. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills, and today we are going to be talking about these five frequently overlooked causes that you can start addressing right away to start feeling more energetic tomorrow. And I wanted to introduce to you a special guest speaker that I have joining with me today. I'm so excited to have her here. It's Anya is a functional health practitioner, a clinical nutritionist, and founder of The Wellness, a worldwide virtual practice that specializes in women's gut health and hormone health. Hi, Anya. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Yay. Speaking about a very important subject, because how frequently do we see this in the clinic, right? Oh, yeah. It's a common issue. And the thing with low energy is often the first thing that people start to experience when something starts to go wrong with their health. And over time, more things will pop up and that low energy will get worse and worse. But I often say to people that, you know, the very, very first sign of any like any kind of issue, it's going to be that low energy, right? And we're going to cover why that is, um, which means that pretty much every person who's suffering from some kind of problem with their health is also suffering from low energy. Definitely. You're so right. It's one of those very obvious symptoms that we can trace to something so much deeper than that. And I think You know, there's so many other symptoms that we can overlook. There's so many things that we can maybe take a pill for, but having lack of energy just disrupts our lives so substantially that there's just no overlooking it. Maybe we can down some more coffee, but even so after a while, you'll notice that that doesn't really help. So we can't overlook it. We have to deal with it. And that's what we're going to do today, right? Yeah. Awesome. So excited. All right, let's dive right in. And at the end, I'm going to get get you to share with us where people, I also want to find out later on a little bit about how you got into this space, because um, mm-hmm. it's such a good one to be in, right? We, we met at a conference. Um, we connected right away. I just was so um, in love with your positive energy and how you brought like this really amazing, um, you know, high vibration kind of conversation every time we, we talked. And so I'm just so happy to have you here today because you are like the epitome of energy. <laughs> so it's so wonderful. Oh my gosh, thank you. And you know, Patricia, what was I mean, that was part of that was part of the healing journey I had to go through. Like I didn't just come up with this energy out of nowhere, right? Like this was part and parcel of me taking a very holistic approach to my own health. And so that's what allowed me to then have that expertise to share with other people as well after 
you know, getting some credentials and all of the school and all of that. But yeah. Um, so thank you for that. I, you know, energy matches energy. So that's why we connected. Thank you again. I agree. Energy does match energy. <laughs> all right. Let's start with that first cause. And, uh, you know, you provided these um, topics and we talked back and forth about them in preparation and we are in full agreement um, with all of this and metabolic health. So crucial. What are your thoughts on metabolic health? And for some people who are joining us today, they may not understand what does, what do you mean by metabolic health? Like people generally understand metabolism right? Like, oh, she has a high metabolism, he has a low metabolism. And it's usually in the context of, oh, you could eat anything you want. And so you have a high metabolism. Whereas if I eat anything, I gain weight, I have a low metabolism. Are we talking about that? Are we talking about something different? What are your thoughts? Well, let's, let's use the example of your that idea of someone having a lower high metabolism when it comes to food that they eat. So food that we eat needs to undergo chemical processes in our body. So it, once we eat it, we of course digest it. And then apart from that, after that, we have to then absorb it and do something with what it is that we've absorbed. Part of this whole process that we understand as metabolism is that, you know, we're it's a chemical process that the body is going through, just like these bajillion other chemical processes that our bodies go through on a daily basis that we may not be aware of and we don't see. So in order for any movement to take place, for my hands to be moving right now, we're having a metabolically related process. There's energy that's going from my cells and it's, it's powering the muscles that are moving in my arms right now. That is also part and parcel of metabolic health. So when we consider metabolic health to be any chemical process that's happening in our bodies, then our horizon or our understanding of what encompasses metabolic health becomes so wide, right? Because then that becomes everything that our body does. Everything is a chemical process from movement, from my hair growing, to the food that I'm eating, to elimination, to the way that I breathe, to the way that I create hormones, to the way that I create energy. All of these things are metabolic. Oh, 100%, 100%. And it's interesting because um, what creates that energy within ourselves, it's almost like a story from Star Wars. You know, and if you're, if you don't, if you don't know Star Wars, you probably much younger than us, but it's the energy production comes from these little um, organelles. Like there are these cells within the cell. So we have our cells and within the cell, there's another tiny little organ organelle called a mitochondria, right? And the mitochondria actually were bacteria, single cell bacteria that millions of years ago migrated into another cell and they were so good at making energy that that cell that they got into benefited from that energy production. So as long as that bigger cell fed that smaller mitochondria, that smaller mitochondria will take that food, turn it into energy, which then the bigger cell would use. And then millions of years later, many of those cells got together and they formed um, you know, animals and eventually species. And we were one of the, you know, one of the outputs of that, the humans. And we are basically a collection of cells 
with multiple little mitochondria inside of it that are taking the energy from our sugar, our protein, our fat, and making um, making energy, and they need oxygen. So actually, we do not use oxygen. Our mitochondria use the oxygen. And then the output of that is the energy. So they're like our little battery packs in our cells, I like to call them. And what's fascinating is I came across a recent study that showed that our metabolism, actually everybody's metabolism is the same at the same life stage. So babies, all babies have the same metabolism. All kids have the same metabolism, all adults and all elders. Um, What changes is our health and our ability for our metabolism to work at their optimal capacity, which is very fascinating. It was a very um, groundbreaking study because the idea of, well, you have a high metabolism and you have a low metabolism, you were born with that. It's actually been proven to not be true. We all have the same metabolism, but how we influence that metabolism through what we eat, what we drink, what we breathe, what we put on our skin, the thoughts that we think, that's what influences our energy production capacity. What are your thoughts on that? That is, well, first of all, I need to give you a round of applause because you just took us from Big Bang to the history the history of evolution just in what was that? Like less than two minutes? That was incredible. So congratulations. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let's talk about... Uh, let's let's talk about this. You're right. That that is absolutely true. Studies have found that metabolic health is something that we affect in our day-to-day lives. Unless we're born with some genetic and and to be honest, if we had a genetic related um let's call it an, an issue with our metabolic health, that would be fatal. Right? That would be fatal because of, and we just went through how important or or how central metabolic health is to every function in our body. But for the most part, for the most most of us walking around, we're affecting our me- metabolic health either negatively or positively every day. And that information is coming from our environment. And as you said, from within as well, the information, there's feedback loops that are happening in our bodies continuously. Information is getting being given to us by our outside environment and our inside environment is then taking that, assimilating it and making changes and doing protocols and, you know, sending signals based on what's happening. So you can imagine the beauty of this whole thing and what, Patricia, you've just said is that we have an incredible opportunity to fine tune and optimize our metabolic health. Because if it's what we're doing that makes the huge difference between someone who has a high metabolism and a lower metabolism, then that means this might be under our control. And studies have shown that it is mostly within our control. Um, We may be predisposed to certain things, but epigenetics, meaning that The things that we do and how they affect our genealogy, how they affect the way that our body is producing and doing and being, we have an opportunity here. So this is exactly what you said. I love it. Love that research. And what could you give some top um, things that that negatively affect our metabolic health or or our mitochondria? Um, and, and a few things that positively, just off the top of your head, what, what yeah. comes to mind? Well, 
let's think about, well, first of all, what does what does a mitochondria, what does that eat? What do we know that it loves? The answer to that is minerals. It loves minerals, right? Minerals are what it uses to do the chemical reactions that create energy in our body. They're called what we call cofactors. So when we have a mineral-rich diet, which most of us are lacking some minerals, we are going to notice a metabolic change because it's not giving the mitochondria what they need to live, right? Adversely, if we are on the other side of that, if we're having a mineral-dense diet, minerals coming from the earth, coming from colorful plants, colorful foods, making sure that we are not shying away from you know, our, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent. I am a proponent of a whole food diet being more so, and, and also including meat. So, you know, animal protein is something that I do believe in my practice to be very healing. And so some of the beauty around that is that if you are eating a whole foods diet, meaning that, you know, it is not adult, um, it's not, you know, changed processed. Um, pretty much the kind of diet that you can grab on your own, hunt on your own. If you were in the middle of a field with a knife, you can you can create this diet. That's the kind of diet I'm thinking about. You know, in the middle of a field with a knife would not you would not expect there to be a cereal box, right? So that's we need to start thinking about well, what is a whole food? We're having a whole foods diet. Those are mineral rich diets, and so we're naturally going to be giving our mitochondria the fuel that it needs. So mineral, mineral density. And I think people are also on the, to- on the topic of mineral density. I think a lot of people are having a little bit less salt than they think they should be having, than they should actually be having, I should say. So, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there was this huge kind of concern and more and more research is debunking this, that salt is a primary killer because of creating cardiovascular risk. But what we're seeing is that there's a certain amount of salt that our body really needs for functioning. And without that salt content, we're really doing more disservice to our bodies. We're actually creating the kind of conditions that create hypertension, that create, you know, the kinds of things that previously we were blaming salt for. So salt in specific, like specifically high grade not process. I'm talking about sea salt. I'm talking about, you know, Himalayan pink salt. I'm talking about rotating your salt. So not just having the same salt on your table day in and day out. Think about rotating your salts because every salt, natural salt has a very different mineral content. So, you know, from in my house, for example, we'll do gray salt one week and then switch it to pink Himalayan salt and then switch it to another type of salt. There are so many fun and they're tasty types of salts that exist and you can just experiment with them. They're beautiful. It looks beautiful on the table. You know, part of that also, when you're attracted to the food that you're eating, your body is assimilating it in a very different way. So experiment with salt, experiment with minerals. Oh, I love that. There are so many things you just, um, you know, provided there that are very actionable strategies. I, for one, will start to rotate my salts. I use the primarily the pink Himalayan salt. And it's true, I dove into the research and natural salts have more minerals than 
synthetic table salt has two minerals, calcium and chloride, and then it may be um, fortified with iodine. And natural salt has um, at least those two plus around 10 more other minerals that are vital for our um, healthy functioning and are not present in ultra processed foods. Civilizations have um, you know, lived and died based on the salt trade, you know, like where there have been civil wars almost fought in Italy when, um, you know, one uh, city threatened to close down the access to salt for another city. It was that important for their um, civilization. So it's been with us for eons. It is definitely 100% agree with you. Super important, not just for mitochondria, but for adrenal glands, which create our cortisol, hormone, all those things. And the other thing I want to comment on is the um, the meat, the eating the meat. I uh, am an omnivore. I, I do eat meat and I eat a plant-rich diet. So I get my minerals primarily from my plants. I get my building blocks uh, from my, from my uh, a lot of my building blocks from meat. And I know that for people who are trying to minimize uh, or avoid meat, my recommendation is that Iron is one of those key minerals for the mitochondria. It is necessary to every single step of mitochondrial function. And um, the iron from animal meat is much better absorbed than the iron from plants. So, and you can improve that plant absorption if you soak, sprout, or ferment your, your grains, your nuts, and your seeds, and your beans. Uh, and, or you may need to supplement um, with some iron, like an iron bisglycinate, something like that. Um, certainly when you're doing vegan and vegetarian diets, it is possible to be healthy and it requires a lot more intention, you know, with the minerals and certain B vitamins, definitely certain kinds of proteins that are necessary. So yeah, I, I agree. It's all about the balance and being aware that, um, some people go vegetarian and vegan for ethical reasons, some for health reasons. And for both, there needs to be, um, an understanding that, it can, I do meet a lot of people who get, get low energy with not getting either enough protein and minerals in their diet or not being able to properly break down and absorb those minerals and, and protein that they are eating. Um, so that was so beautiful. I 100% agree. And then the other topic that we're going to be getting into next is hormone balance. But before I do, one thing that is a poison to mitochondria is too much sugar. <laughs> you know, so it's like it's the it's the toxins in the environment poison our mitochondria. Antibacterial, um, you know, antibacterial um, medications like antibiotics can poison it. Um, Tylenol, acetaminophen, paracetamol um, can poison our mitochondria. In fact, that's like one of the massive side effects from Tylenol is due to the effects of the poisoning of the mitochondria in our liver. Um, the liver has a lot of mitochondria. It's a very active organ. Um, so yeah, I, I 100%, I love it. This has been such a good start. And even if you just watch this, you'll take away so much for your energy. Um, so let's go on to the second topic, which is hormone imbalance. And this is a big one, right? Oh my gosh. Is it ever? I mean, I'm of course biased because this makes up the practice that I have, right, where people are coming to see me because they're seeing hormonal imbalance. And they may not know that it's hormone imbalance until they start seeing symptoms, right? And one of those major symptoms, as we said, and the reason why this whole talk is happening is because people are noticing that they're, they're low in energy. 
and they're attributing that to hormonal imbalance. And they're probably right because what we know about mitochondrial health and how it plays into metabolic health, which then connects to hormone health as a whole is you remember how I said that chemical processes do everything in our body. One of the chemical processes that under that are happening in our body at any moment is the creation of hormone and the creation of hormones happen, you know, based on, well, what's happening in the external environment and how does our internal environment have to then respond to that cue, right? So when we're having mitochondrial dysfunction, the other thing that mitochondria do, apart from creating energy, is within the mitochondria, that's where our hormones are built. So I don't you know that out. I was like, what? Right? Like, if our mitochondria are not happy campers, we are not, we do not have the basics for hormonal balance. We just don't, right? If they don't have the energy to create the hormones, if they are being poisoned by the things in our environment, if um, we are not giving them the nutrition that they need in the form of high minerals, they're just not going to be able to create hormonal balance. And so this is where we see a little bit of this problem that it's cyclical because we notice hormonal imbalance happening because of mitochondrial dysfunction, mitochondria is not being happy then they stop really creating good hormones. And then we start feeling tired, which also means that, well, mitochondrial health is, is failing once more because we're more tired. So it just, you can tell that this whole problem will feed into each other, right? In this sort of vicious cycle. But this is why if you are noticing fatigue, you can kind of put your thinking cap on and say, oh, I wonder if it has something to do with my mitochondria. Hormone imbalance will always respond to what's happening in a mitochondrial environment. So these topics all kind of segue into one another. The other thing that will happen from a hormonal perspective is that mitochondria, they call the shots. They are going to say, yes, you know, feed up or they'll get information from our brains saying, and our thyroid in particular saying, okay, speed up the production of something or slow down the production of something. That's why we call our thyroid our master gland, right? Our master metabolic gland. That will, as a result of of what is happening or not happening in the internal environment, will slow up or speed down. So oftentimes the thyroid, if it's slowing down, it slows down everything. It slows down the production of hormones. It's slowing down the production of our fertility hormones things like estrogen and progesterone. You know, it might be speeding up other inflammatory processes. There's a lot that might be happening here. So if you're noticing hormone imbalance or if you're noticing fatigue, it could be pointing to some hormonal imbalance related to your thyroid. And the other thing is that it can also be related to other things that other, other areas that dictate what our hormones are doing. Could be related to our blood sugar. That's so overlooked. And Patricia, I know that you are part of the blood sugar balance passionate team. Like if there were a team somewhere where we can go and stand on the sidelines and cheer for blood sugar balance on a daily basis, I think you and I were both be there with the big billboards. You know, like we, <laughs> we are such blood sugar balance 
fangirls. It's ridiculous. But it matters. It matters. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, blood sugar balance is like one of those things that just impacts our hormones in a massive way. Um, when we when we do when we end up with blood sugar imbalance, um, it is telling our internal environment something very different um, that it needs to start acting on and it will start drawing on additional resources that our mitochondria then have to go and create. And if our mitochondria are tired or like they're not getting what they need, then they're going to have problems doing that. Right. So this is a very high level that we're giving you. There's, there's of course the very specifics. I think you've been really great at present for providing some specifics for the crowd, but if you wanted to go into detail on how that works with blood sugar, we can talk about that too. Yeah, I think one thing I want to comment on is that um, one, uh, so we we looked at the microscopic view of um, blood sugar and hormone production, where the hormones, particularly um, cortisol, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, are all actually made in the mitochondria, as you mentioned, right, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. I don't know, I kind of pictured them being made inside of the cells floating around in like the liquid of the cell, but they're actually made in the mitochondria. And then the bigger picture is that, let's say when we talk about blood sugar, we're talking, we're not talking about the fact that you shouldn't have sugar in your blood. You need to have sugar in your blood. When you eat um, your plant-rich diet, your lots of minerals, it's going to have lots of carbohydrates in it from the vegetables, from the whole grains, the nuts, the beans, the seeds. Those carbohydrates get broken down nice and slowly because they're packaged in fiber. And as they're broken down nice and slowly because of that packaging of the fiber by Mother Nature in your gut, your blood, your the sugar that from that carbohydrates, all carbohydrates do turn into simple sugars over time. That's what digestion does. The sugar is not bad so long as it is released in small, moderate amounts at a slow rate. And what you're uh, in from the gut into the blood, and then inside the blood, if you were to measure that blood sugar response, that blood sugar level, you would see after you eat your meal that the blood sugar slowly rises in level. The level of blood sugar slowly rises, and then it gets to a certain uh, peak, you know, not too high, not too low, and then it slowly goes down again. And as there are sensors in the body for that, like the pancreas, which is the organ that makes insulin, which is your one of your, your sugar hormone. One of the things that insulin does is it responds to the sugar in your blood. And the way it responds is that the, pan, the pancreas senses the blood sugar, you know, gets the insulin production going and puts the insulin into the blood. The insulin floats around all through the body. And in small amounts, it knocks gently a little bit at the doors of your cells. Some of those doors open in the cells across the body. Those are the cells that are going to use the sugar as an energy source for that mitochondria to, to make energy out of, right? That's some of the food for the mitochondria to make the energy. And then so that blood sugar slowly goes into the cells and your blood level slowly drops down again. That's what you want is that Goldilocks zone, not too high, not too low, nice and steady. But if you eat something that has... Um, Lacking the packaging of the fiber around the carbohydrates, so that's fruit smoothies, that could be um, protein bars with the sugars had hiding in there. So I'm going to kind of list the healthy foods first that people are like, oh, I thought this was healthy for me, but actually has a lot of hidden sugars in it. So that's the fruit smoothies, 
the protein bars, the protein powders, um, a lot of like gluten-free foods, right? Where it's like they have very highly refined. So when you take a whole grain like rice or a wheat or an amaranth, a tough, a buckwheat or quinoa, if you take that and you grind it down and you process it into a fine, fine powder, now you're going to, that in addition to the obvious sugars, like the, you know, the white sugars that go into pastries and breads and cookies and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of processed breads, breads that last forever on the shelf, they have a lot of those simple sugars that will go into your blood, cause a massive spike of um, sugar in your blood. Your insulin gets dumped out in, from the pancreas in huge amounts because the, it sees a massive rise in blood sugar all of a sudden, right? Because instead of being slowly broken down, it's quickly released from the gut into the blood. Big, huge spike, big, huge insulin release. What happens is uh, the, a ton of insulin is floating through the body, a ton of doors open on the cells, a ton of sugar rushes into the cells, and boom, your blood sugar tanks. And what you get in that moment is low energy. And that's why a lot of people get that afternoon energy slump, right? So there's two reasons for that afternoon energy slump two major reasons. And the first major reason is those what I call fast carbohydrates or simple carbohydrates. They go fast in, fast up, fast down, too low, boom, energy slump. Yes. And we'll get cravings, right? Just in that moment where we see that dip happening, we're going to get these massive cravings for guess what? More of those fast carbohydrates. Because our body sees that low dip as a threat. And at that point, we'll request the brain to say, oh, my human is in danger. Let's make sure that we can bring this blood sugar level up. And the fastest way that we know how to do that is through those fast carbohydrates, right? Right, exactly. And the solution to that is to replace those fast carbohydrates with slow carbohydrates. So having, um, you know, even a sourdough bread, like a good quality whole grain sourdough bread, um, that sourdough fermentation process, the buggies eat up the sugar, it has less sugar in it. So got a lot of the fiber around it, right? So there's some things, but you know, having, for example, um, some carrots with a bit of hummus, instead of crackers, you know, with uh, hummus on top, like those small switches yes. through the day, and especially the breakfast time, right? Having like a bowl of rolled oats, porridge, like the real kind, not the cereal off the shelf kind, kind that's highly processed. So there's there's the, those fine details, but being aware of this information, even as a first step, is really key. Um, and we that it would take a whole other show to talk about how to you know go into all of those things. But one yeah. thing that uh, one that we can go back to hormone imbalance, but I did mention that there were two things that can cause a big dip of energy through the day. Um, and that is the third um, often overlooked cause of fatigue, which is the adrenal stress response. Oh, yeah. And right. So as it pertains to blood sugar, when we do have that dip that you mentioned before, we have that response, right, um, to intake a little bit more carbohydrate or more processed sugar or something to increase that blood sugar. But the other thing that happens is that 
stress hormones get released. Because remember I said that that our bodies perceive that dip as a threat. The threat, what our body does in the face of any threat is that it releases stress hormones. And one of those things is cortisol. So cortisol gets released. It ends up taking not only resources from the rest of our body's regular functioning, but it starts to hijack things as well. Cortisol is not bad. It needs to happen. This is a very human, very healthy response. The problem is if we're triggering cortisol just based not on a real threat like someone coming at us, you know, that we need to protect ourselves from, but we're we're triggering it because we had something for breakfast and this other thing for lunch and this fruit smoothie in the middle. These are things that we keep on tapping on our adrenals and producing that cortisol response. Guess what? All the resources that's supposed to go to our regular chemical functioning of our bodies are now going towards fueling the stress response, which then robs our body's ability to create hormones in a in a healthy, balanced way. So this is why I'm so happy that we went into that much detail on blood sugar because blood sugar is one of those things that impacts mitochondria directly, right? Because we we mentioned that it will speed up or slow down, normally speed up the way that mitochondria has to then produce energy or create um, energy based on these extreme lows that we're creating, right? And it also impacts our hormones in a really substantial way because it's then stealing resources in many ways from healthy hormone balance. All of these things, when we are, what happens when you're stressed out? What happens if you've been stressed out for the entire day and you finally get home? You're tired, right? Your body feels that fatigue. That's exactly what's happening in our internal state. We're feeling and fueling this adrenal stress response. And then all of a sudden, we will have to come down from that. We will have to come down into a slump of energy. And it's because the mitochondria can't keep up. They just can't. And the, the, hormone, the hormone response can't keep up with this continuous knocking on the door of stress in the adrenals. So, this is why we will see fatigue in the face of continuous adrenal response. And then the other thing that we can do to really, I mean, one thing that we probably need to talk about, the complete opposite of that heightened adrenal state is our what we call our parasympathetic nervous system state. So our nervous system has two different modes, right? Oh, are we skipping ahead? Okay, let's do that. Yeah. And you see these things all together. Before we go to the nervous system, I just wanted to make a few comments on the adrenal stress response because you did such a lovely job of explaining how being in that state of stress, you know, mm-hmm. and it's in today's modern world, it's so many things are setting us into stress. It's the children, um, you know, their behaviors kind of trigger you. It's the work environment. It's the commute. It's listening to the news. And so we're, many of us are in this constant state of stress, which is not normal for humans in terms of evolutionary. Usually it used to be the occasional time you'd run into like, a, you know, a tiger in the jungle 
or there'd be a, a war between tribes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, however, in today's modern society, it's day in and day out. And maybe you get a break from it if you're like on vacation. And even then there can be some, you know, stress with traveling. So, and it's the perceived stress. So people say, well, I can't remove stress from my life. And the answer to that is you can't remove stress from your life. You can change the way you perceive it and react to it. There are many things you can do, like, um, you know, some people meditate, breath work, doing uh, more relaxing exercises like yoga, tai chi, uh, qigong. And the interesting thing is that there are three stages of stress response the third one being burnout right so if you've ever burned out you know what that's like it's like you're fine until you're not and then it's like your energy levels tank so low that you need to take a break from life pretty much or else you're going to really get into trouble but before you reach burnout there's two phases before that the first phase is what a lot of women are in where they're coping with life and they're, they're, they're almost like in a state of heightened energy and they're doing all the things and they're like, I'm fine. Everything is great. I got it all under control. But inside that stress, as you said, is just burning up all those resources. It's using up the minerals. It's using up the vitamins, vitamin C, zinc, all those things, right? And then you get to stage two where you start to see changes in your energy level through the day and it's not like you're tired throughout the whole day as in burnout but you might be wired and tired you know you might get your energy slump in the afternoon but then be wide awake at nighttime or you wake up tired you get this energy burst in the afternoon and then by nighttime you are just dead exhausted and that's because the adrenal gland which makes the stress hormone cortisol is starting to as you say be overburdened and the term adrenal fatigue is actually popular, but not entirely accurate. What happens is the brain starts to realize that the adrenal glands are starting to suffer. And as the mastermind of the body, like one of the big controllers of what's going on in terms of telling the body what to do and body parts what to do, it basically tells the adrenal glands to just shut down. Like not completely, but it's like, you know what? You are an overworked body part. Just turn down the dial. And, you know, make less of that cortisol hormone because you, it, you're just making too much, right? And cortisol is needed. A certain amount of cortisol is needed to wake up in the morning and be energetic to maintain a certain amount of energy through the day and to naturally go down at night so you fall asleep. So that, because the brain is slowly turning down the volume on the adrenal gland function, you start to see those patterns of dysfunction of energy fluctuations all the way. And if you don't listen to that, if you don't respect those signals, that's when the function gets turned down. And if you were to do a test of the cortisol levels through the day, your cortisol levels would be like low, 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 low through the whole day, whereas it should be high in the morning, coming down in the noontime, further down in the afternoon, lowest in the evening, which then allows your melatonin, your sleep hormone to go up. And if you don't have your um, cortisol hormone coming down, it's really hard for your melatonin hormone to come up. And that's when you start running into sleep problems. And sleep problems are caused by your blood sugar dipping too much while you're sleeping because you ate too many fast carbs around the nighttime. And or the melatonin cortisol dance being off because of your stress, right? Your stress response. Mm -hmm. And if you, obviously, if you don't sleep well, 
you're going to be tired the next day. And guess what? If you don't sleep well, you're more hungry the next day. You're craving foods the more the next day. And then you eat that fast carb and this vicious cycle is just perpetuated. And the cool thing is you just need to change one thing to begin with in that vicious cycle, right? And it could be mod, like improving your stress perception and your stress response. It could be changing those fast carbs to slow carbs. But just starting with just picking one thing to work on will help improve that vicious cycle. Absolutely. And if I can just add one more thing to that incredible explanation, practical explanation. But when cortisol is so high in the body, it just goes to show you how how integral this dance or how integral or important cortisol actually is. It, it can't go too low. It can't go too high. If it goes too high for too long, the body actually has this fail safe where it starts to convert cortisol into an inactive form so that it doesn't continue knocking on the door of the adrenals. It will convert it to what we call cortisone. What ends up happening is that when too much of it gets converted to cortisone, because we've continuously had this stress response, after a while, we have that very tired throughout the day kind of feeling because what's happening is that whatever cortisol is around to be used, it's being converted to cortisone in a self-protective mode. Our body is saying, I can't take another instance of cortisol knocking on the doors of my cells and asking me to upregulate things or do more, right? So I'm going to start to turn that dial down, make sure that cortisol is not hanging out in the body as much because I can't take the activation. Then what ends up happening is that's how you end up also feeling this fatigue. It's because, you know, it's you're almost underactivated at that point because you're in this burnout state, right? It's turning things off. You're burnt out because you're, la- you're lacking nourishment. You're lacking also space. There's white space that your brain needs, but also you're lacking the balance between healthy levels of cortisol and completely unhealthy levels of cortisol that are just, too much for your body to handle. And that's where we see fatigue. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing because it's its the body's infinite wisdom. You know, yeah. the, the fatigue is not the problem. It's a symptom of an underlying issue. And while it may seem like burnout is terrible, it's actually your body in some ways trying to protect you from yourself, from your actions day to day that have not been serving your body. So Burnout is basically a, and I've gone through burnout, <laughs> hardcore. Yes. And Patricia, what would happen if we chose to just take some Red Bulls, right? In that moment. Like if we were the sort of people that had that fourth, fifth cup of coffee because we're burnt out, then can you imagine our bodies are just not, it's asking us to respond by increasing cortisol and we can't, we're already in a cortisol deficient state, you know? So it's making that problem worse. Absolutely. And sorry for interrupting. Yeah. I get so excited when we talk about this stuff. It's so great. 
And I remember we were talking before we started this show that um, we wanted to talk about coffee, right? And um, what's interesting thing about caffeine is that um, one of the way it works to get us more energetic is it causes our body to release cortisol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, and so caffeine can be, can be a healthy, like coffee can be a healthy part of somebody's diet, so long as the foundation is stable for it. So if you're in a state of over cortisol production, you're in, you're, you know, you're, you're leading a very busy life and you can be retired by the way. And oh, be yeah. in this high stress, you know, like your to-do list and, you know, helping with family members and all those sorts of things. So it can affect anybody at any age and, and children too, right? Children were very impacted during, um, COVID, for example, adolescents, um, young adults. So this is not an older person condition. This is an any person condition. But us older people tend to reach for the caffeine um, to try to get our energy levels up. And that's just another hit to the adrenal glands. Whereas if I'm like right now, for example, I am in really good health, knock on wood. I meditate every morning. I do Qigong. I do breath work. I balance my yang activities in the day with the yin you know like if i'm doing a lot of stuff i bring in the relaxation i can have coffee and i like my swiss water decaf coffee 30 percent right non-chemical way of extracting caffeine on a full stomach because when you have it on an empty stomach it's a direct absorption very fast a lot of that cortisol can get triggered whereas on a full stomach Right. So like it after breakfast, for example, is, a, you know, people who are highly stressed, living very highly stressed lives, like highly energetic lives, they're intermittent fasting, they're skipping breakfast and they're having coffee first thing in the morning. That, especially in women who are more sensitive to this adrenal stress response than men, women have a more, more sensitivity to cortisol and its effects. That may result in you feeling energetic and losing weight and hitting those health goals. But over time, it will result, and research has shown that that kind of a lifestyle, skipping your meals, you know, with the cortisol, um, adrenal gland stimulants like the caffeine, will result in hormone imbalance in the future more often than not. Yeah, because we know that the raw materials that are used to build cortisol are also the raw materials that are needed to be used to build things like progesterone and estrogen. So especially as a woman, if we are continuously shunting resources in the way of cortisol, then we do not have what we need to create our fertility hormones or our sex hormones, right? Especially in those that are going into menopause where we really need as much as we can get, we are we are losing some of the function of some of these hormones, or they're depleting. They're going into a very natural state of decline. But that is why I think women, as they're approaching their their menopausal years, become even more sensitive to adrenal dysfunction or adrenal insufficiency, because the adrenals play such an important part in preserving the amount of hormones that we just have that we need to rely on into pre-menopause and menopause. 100%. Yeah, the ovaries retire and the adrenal glands take over in menopause and they're the 
one of the major or, um, hormone producing organs is the adrenal glands and menopause. So if you are not supporting your adrenal function, you're going to have a really tough transition into menopause and a menopause experience. And yeah. also testosterone is one of those things that gets sacrificed with more cortisol. And so women experience lower libido, lower muscle mass, even though they're working out and, and eating good quality protein, they just can't put on that muscle if the testosterone is being sacrificed. So yeah, this yeah. is all super pertinent. And I love that we took a little bit more time to dive into that before going into our fourth cause which is the nervous system stress response. So we had the adrenal stress response and now the nervous system stress response. Right. Well, I mean, these two, and the reason why we, we entered that space of nervous system and parasympathetic, I use the word parasympathetic because these two, the adrenals, they really determine what's happening with our overall nervous system, right? They they are the ones that if we are in a constantly stressed out state, it is going to alter our nervous system response. Our nervous system has two branches. One of them is what we call the sympathetic. The other one is what we call the parasympathetic. And different functions happen where you are within this, these two branches. So if, for example, we're wanting to digest our food, if we're wanting to replenish what we've taken out during the day, our body will need to be in a parasympathetic state. That's what we call our rest and digest state. Oftentimes that in prehistoric time or you know time before technology, we would naturally be entering this state Later on in the evening, after our commitments for the day are done, there's no blue light shining in our faces. There's no electricity. You know, the, the sun goes down. And so our cortisol starts to dip. Our melatonin starts to increase. We see this transition into parasympathetic so naturally. But in this modern age, we are constantly stuck on the other branch, the sympathetic, the active the the branch of our nervous system that also it's helpful it's not to de be demonized we cannot be stuck in our you know parasympathetic state forever although that would be lovely and we probably would get a lot of benefit from being in that parasympathetic state more but unfortunately what happens is that we get stuck in that sympathetic state which ends up being more activating which is where our body is then using, using, taking resources, converting resources, our mitochondria is taking the stuff that we have given it and it's converting it to energy. We have to remember everything exists in a balance. And you talked about yin and yang, right? You talked about yang activities being so necessary to balance yin ones and vice versa. This balance needs to also occur with our nervous system. And when we spend all of our time in this in this sympathetic activated state, we're not able to access the other state of our nervous system that will allow for and facilitate replenishment, that would allow for and facilitate proper rest, digestion, refueling, you know, um, and also from an energetic state there where there needs to be ample time that's not activated so that we can then think about our day that we can reflect and work through emotions there are our bodies are energetic beings 
right? Emotional, energetic beings. And so if we're stuck in, in this, this sort of state of constantly responding to things, we can't access this state of, of reflection. And that's when we end up getting a little bit of stagnancy in our emotions, which then, I mean, that would be a completely different episode and such a valuable one to go into the mind and the body and how, you know, emotions get stored in the body and can form the basis of what we call pathology or disease, right? I love that you went there because, you know, it's so yeah. funny. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're talking about physical fatigue, but there's also emotional fatigue. Oh, and, yeah. you know, one, one way to differentiate between the two is to ask if you, you're, let's say you're very tired and you, um, and I said, well, if I were to take you and put you on this like beautiful tropical island with everything at your fingertips, would you still be tired? Like you have no issues, no concerns, nothing on your plate. Everything has been solved for you. You just get to relax. Would you still be tired? If the answer is yes, I would probably still be tired at first, at least like I would be tired. Um, then it's more of a physical fatigue. But if you're like, um, if it's like, oh, no, I would be totally fine. Like within a day everything would be like amazing right that's the emotional fatigue that you're that you're speaking of and i think that's such a beautiful um point to bring into this conversation is that i find myself sometimes and i, I will just do a little vulnerable share here where there'll be it'll be the end of the day and um you know i've had a great day and then i pick up my kids and for whatever reason they're just like in a bad mood you know how kids they get into these little bad kid moods something happened in their day Maybe they had too much sugar at school, so they're all over the place. We get home, and you know, I'm doing the same things, but I'm I'm also having to deal with their emotions, and and you know, and I get emotionally fatigued. So after an hour or two, I'm just drained, you know. And I'm right. not physically drained, right? I put them to bed, and all of a sudden, I've got all this energy. <laughs> you know, they're in bed, they're they're well managed, everything is good. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm fine, actually. I'm going to go read a book or, you know, do this or just yep. uh, gentle yoga. I've got all this energy now. That is an emotional fatigue. And it is real. And many of us probably have maybe a combination of both physical and emotional fatigue. It'd be rare to not have some kind of combination of the two. You bring up such a good point. Because, again, you remember at the beginning of the conversation, you said that our adrenals, our body is responding to threats, whether real or perceived. It doesn't matter what kind of threat it is. All that matters is that our body is perceiving it as a threat. So if your children are in a bad mood, if someone cut you off while you were driving, if someone accidentally, you know, if, if, they, if they made you upset at work, um, or someone unintentionally did something, regardless of whether that is the case or not, your body has still perceived it as a threat and a stressor, right? So that emotional load that you're talking about, like I think women in particular need to be careful about this and, and think about mental load. And how much mental load they're taking on a regular basis. Because when we're talking about stress, we're not just talking about, you know, physical stress. Um, we're, 
we're and yes, there's the physicality of blood sugar balance and imbalance. There's there's physical things that are happening in our bodies when our blood sugar is imbalanced. They were talking about that, of course, but we're also talking about the emotional stress of having to think, okay, if I want to make this for dinner, then that means that I need to go to the grocery store between two and three because at three o'clock I have a meeting and at four o'clock I have to go pick up my kids. So if Blah, 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 blah. And our minds are just constantly going, right? This mental load, if it's not shared, that pushes us into our sympathetic mode of act of nervous system activation, right? It is not allowing our bodies to replenish and refuel our mitochondria to get what they need, our hormones to be balanced, our sleep to be regular. That's not happening in that mode. Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many times I, I talked to a woman who has undergone burnout, right? And then she says, oh, yeah. And when I had to leave my job on like short-term disability, or I just had to completely leave my job and switch focus or whatever. Um, well, they had to hire two or three people to do the work that I was doing. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, yes. yeah, boundaries. Like we are so bad. I, I'm saying because I'm the same, like that's, you know, that's what I was doing is just saying yes to everything, totally valuing worth, you know, not, not setting boundaries. And anyways, again, a whole other discussion, but I yeah. agree with you. Follow-up discussion mentioned. needs to happen, obviously. But yeah, I mean, the, let's, let's jump into this one because it's a biggie for sure. Yeah, so the first thing for those of you who are listening um, is immune activation. And um, Anya put this one on there and I love it because this one is a very frequently overlooked, I mean, oh, yeah. really overlooked issue. And we're switching gears quite a bit here because it's a totally different topic in a way. So go for it, Anya. In so a sorry. way, well, let's think about, look, look at supply and demand in the body. Let's think about it that way. You have a certain amount of energy to supply that's supplied to you for all of your functioning. Let's just say you're feeling tired and it can be reduced to simple supply and demand. Well, what's taking that supply? Things that may take that supply could be a stealth infection, right? What I mean by stealth infections are something that may be some little critter that might be living in your gut. Perhaps you went to Mexico on vacation and I, I go to Mexico all the time. So I'm not saying don't go to Mexico. Please go to Mexico. It's beautiful. But you have a stealth infection. You picked up some little critter there's something brewing in your gut that now has to be fed, right? It has to be, it, it eats just like everything else. It needs resources just like everything else. So oftentimes when we have these little critters that are living in our bodies in a stealthy way that we would not recognize, we are only recognizing it because all of a sudden we're tired, then we're tired because all of the resources are being taken by something else. Something else is going on. Resources get taken because there's immune activation. When we're doing, when we're, when there's something that's foreign in our bodies that our bodies are not quite aware of what is or haven't really seen before, there's a lot of talk and a lot of conversation that needs to happen between our bodies' processes. What is this? Should we feed it? Should we not? Should we attack it? Should we not? Like, there's just a lot of stuff that takes energy. Immune activation will happen when we have these stealth effect infections and it will end up making us feel tired because now the supply that we had is being split amongst us living our regular lives and 
feeding critters that are not supposed to be fed and activating our immune system and sending the troops out to like make sure that these critters are being eradicated. You know, this is why we get so tired when we're sick with a cold or a flu. It's because our immune system is activated and it takes resources from us. So imagine being low grade sick all the time, right? This is what happens sometimes. There's a low grade immune activation. There's a low grade immune system reaction that is happening on a regular basis. And we just don't know. Maybe it's something in our gut. Perhaps it's something that we're eating that is not quite a food allergy. Like we don't get the itchy, scratchy, you know, red, watery eyes. We don't get or the swollen tongue or we don't have an anaphylaxis or anaphylactic response to this food, but it is creating immune activation in our body. It's something that's setting off our immune system for one reason or another. And so if we're not getting this huge response, then the chances are we continue eating that food, right? And we continue consuming this offending food in a way that continuously brews an immune activation which again will then have us walking around with a brewing immune response all the time and then feeling the the symptoms of fatigue. So this is a beautiful illustration of why fatigue is felt and we just don't know where it's coming from. It could very well be this. Just constant immune activation. 100%. I mean, I've, I've had issues with food sensitivities and, you know, I did the elimination diet. I figured it out, um, you know, dairy and, all these sorts of things, certain nuts. And uh, I remember once I was, we were driving um, and to go somewhere like a multi-day trip and I was driving and we stopped somewhere to eat. And I guess something, they must've had something in the food that I ate that triggered my food sensitivity. Mm-hmm. I had such profound brain fog, which maybe I, you know, in the past, I wouldn't have noticed it because it would have been my constant state and I just would have been someone who's just generally tired frequently. But for me, because I'm usually very high energy, uh, it was such a contrast of my pre-energy and after eating that food energy levels that I almost um, fell asleep at the wheel, like which I never do. I never always fall asleep at the wheel. It was dangerous. I had to like, I felt like I had to hold my eyelids open. It was so profound. Um, And after my immune system settled down from that exposure, my energy levels came back. But 100%, you know, things that activate your immune system, as you say, is um, food sensitivities, uh, infections like Epstein-Barr virus, Lyme, mononucleosis, parasitic infections, you know, those ones. Um, Some people, electromagnetic frequency exposure can be really toxic for them on so many levels, and that can drain their energy. That is a much less frequent cause, but for some people who are more sensitive to those frequencies and radiations that can happen it's been proven to happen so yeah it's it's really paying attention to your body and basically if you have any sort of persistent issues with fatigue now if you are a breastfeeding mother and you are waking up through the night to feed your children and and you're or you're a mother and your children are awakening you at night that's like an obvious cause of fatigue and it is not actually pointing at some kind of system dysfunction although of sleep obviously is negatively affecting your health you know and my heart goes out to you because I've been through that myself it is very hard to be in full bloom of health when you're in constant sleep deprivation so what we are talking about more is those underlying causes that 
if you're not aware of the potential effect, um, will contribute to fatigue that you can't figure out, that you just don't yeah. know the cause of. And when you don't know the cause, you can't take action. So now that we've raised awareness around these five crucial and frequently overlooked causes, you can now take action, right? And so if you're not sure what to do next, um, Anya, what are some like quick things that people can start doing right away that would make a difference to them? So at the top of this um, of, of this segment, we started talking, or not this segment, but the entire uh, the entire video, we were talking about switching your salts, right? And and the reason why we want you to switch your salts, and this is really easy, you can do this today. Go and buy yourself a high quality salt for the mineral density. Just mineral density in general. Think about exploring minerals, understanding what foods are containing high minerals. And there are foods that we're eating that will take minerals from us, you know, and those are always going to be processed food. So processed foods will take minerals. We want to give more minerals. Look at high sources of minerals. Um, like in, we have really colorful leafy greens. The more color we see in, an, in a plant, the more, the higher the mineral density. So especially if you're choosing, say, a lettuce, if you're looking at romaine versus you're looking at um, one of those beautiful dinosaur type kales, right, with the very dark green leaves, we're going to see higher mineral density in that kale, right? We're not saying that romaine's not wor worthwhile. It has a lot of other benefits, other things like there's a good water content in, in romaine lettuce. But from a mineral perspective, you can identify high mineral foods and plants by looking at their color. The power is in the pigment. Okay, so just remember that and look for pigmented foods. And the other thing that you can do is start to explore how to balance your blood sugar. That may be in something as simple as caffeine timing. So look at it. You, you had mentioned that you only have your coffee on a full stomach and that's for good reason. So consider the time that you're having coffee. Don't have it too late at night. Just look at coffee in, in general as something that you may want to revisit your relationship with. I personally drink coffee, again, for the same reasons that you do, Patricia. And I do feel that um, there's a lot of people that are out there having it and not understanding that it may be depleting them further. So just think about coffee. Think about as well from a blood sugar perspective. Um, coffee goes into this, but think about how you're eating your carbohydrates. Are you having carbohydrates by themselves or are you having them on a plate full of other things like fat and protein? Protein can be in the form of vegetable that is high in protein or grain like quinoa, or it could be in the form of animal protein. It doesn't really matter, but what happens is that when we do have our carbohydrate, regardless of what kind of carbohydrate it is, in the presence of a fat or a protein, it will then slow down the absorption of the sugar in our bodies, right? Because protein and protein and, and fats take longer to digest. They're a little bit more complex for the body to break down. And so when we're having them together with, um, when we're having a fat and a protein and a carbohydrate together, we're going to see that the rate of absorption is going to be limited by the breakdown of the fat or the protein, meaning that 
if those things take longer to break down, then we're going to see a breakdown uh, rate of carbohydrate that's going to be slower as well, meaning that the sugars and the carbohydrates are going to then release in a slower way. So think about always pairing a carbohydrate um, with a fat or a protein. And of course, staying away from those very highly processed carbohydrates, those fast carbohydrates that was mentioned before, that would really help. And then of course, things like how do we get into our parasympathetic mode? We talked about nervous system mode and you can, there's so many other ways or ways that you can do this. It's very specific to you. Personally, I prefer breath work. So breath work is my chosen modality to really help to push me into a parasympathetic mode because when there's a threat coming at you, you're sure as heck not deep breathing, right? So if you're deep breathing, that is signaling to your body that you are safe. I like breath work because it's also something that you can do very quickly and silently. And it doesn't take too many resources. There are a lot of resources online that you can look up or there's some apps as well that can be used. Um, but look into breath work or some other version of a parasympathetic enhancer, right? We really want you to get into that mode. And then last, examine your relationship with foods. If you are noticing maybe a trend that you seem to get really bad brain fog after you have lunch and you notice that every lunch you're having this particular type of bread, perhaps you start to look at, well, what is this bread made out of? And do I, I'm starting to notice a trend when I do eat this particular type of, of bread and, and something that also contains the same foods. Um, or same items, Do are you still noticing this brain fog when you have it at a different time? So start to experiment and maybe even log your energy. I really like doing that. And I tell my clients to do the same is after they've had a meal, log some initial feelings, maybe in a journal or a calendar, but just say, had this for lunch or had typical lunch. There's a lot of people who are just lunch repeaters out there and no shame because we don't have, we're all short on time and whatever works, works. But if you're noticing that it's making you feel a certain way consistently, then start to look into that deeper and consult with someone that may be able to help you look at that relationship a little bit deeper. Those are some very practical things you can do today. I love it. And one quick thing I'll add is the exercise piece because people, again, exercise is a balance. If you're not exercising enough, your mitochondria really thrive on just enough exercise. It gets them going and gets them like tuned up and revved up and, you know, just enough, just enough activity. But over exercising, a lot of us, well, I know I, when I, before I hit my burnout, I would, one of the problems I was over exercising. I was exercising the same when I was menstruating versus when I was not, which, you know, you should, you should do more gentle things when you're menstruating and that whole thing, like I'm going to hit the gym, no matter how I'm feeling today. Yes. That's okay. If what you're doing is overcoming like willpower issues, but if your body is truly depleted, um, you know, exercising through that may actually end up burning you out faster or causing some issues. Um, you know, definitely people who are engaged in ultra marathon. I mean, my dad was an Ironman. Uh, those activities drain a lot of nutrients, a lot of minerals, very depleting. So 
If you want to keep doing that, you're going to have to really intentionally bring in a lot. That's a very yang, high energy thing. You're going to have to balance that out with massive yin, probably a lot of supplementation, to be honest, um, because you're, you just won't be able to meet your dance with your food. And those of us who are busy days, busy lives, you know, all those things, children, family, all work, all that, oftentimes, even if you're eating a super healthy plate of food, you may just not be getting enough nutrients to meet those demands and you may need supplementation. And that's something that sometimes I do bring in um, with people that I work with and that I recommend for that reason. But I don't, I don't think everyone needs to be on that. Um, however, there are certain circumstances where you do need a bit more zinc, a bit more vitamin, a bit more vitamin D, vitamins, that kind of stuff. So even if you're on a very healthy diet, so if you're, you know, if you've identified with some of these things and you're like, yeah, this is one for me. Or if you're like, well, I'm actually pretty healthy and, and I'm doing all the right things, I'm eating all the right foods, but I'm still feeling drained, maybe, um, you know, it would be looking at the supplementation. And the last one is toxins, right? Toxins harming the mitochondria. So um, that's, the, that's like often the hidden infections and the hidden toxins in our environment can be that missing piece for some people. Not everyone, but for some people. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. And we see that in the form of mold toxicity very often in my clinic where it's like, we've looked through everything. We've gotten them into parasympathetic. We have turned down the dial on their adrenal activation. We have, um, you know, made sure that their blood is, their blood sugars are more balanced. And we just are still scratching our head as to why this person is dealing with fatigue. It can be because of an environmental toxin. And in that case, that's when you know, if you've if you've done these foundational things and you're still noticing that there is something else that may be brewing and dealing with your or that that is causing your fatigue, then that is when you start doing some further exploration. And that may be what we find: some toxin burden, um, some sort of mycotoxin in the environment, um, immune activation being caused by something external. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Anya. This oh has been God. the best. This is like a very long conversation we've had. And I think it's a reflection of how meaty and juicy and how wonderful like everything flowed. So I so appreciate you taking the time. Um, why don't you share with our listeners and viewers where they can find you if they want to connect and work with you on their hormones and gut health? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I am very active on Instagram. So you'll find me at the.well.nest or sorry at your.well.nest and on Instagram and um, what I tend tend to do there is give you some really practical tips that you can implement in your life just because I'm really passionate about breaking down barriers for access to information we know that as as more integrative and functional um, type practitioners we know that there's just so much difficulty um, sometimes in accessing our kind of our, our type of care and perhaps you're not ready for that. And so sometimes what I think I can speak to for both of us, the foundational things are often what we want you to be able to do for free. We we give that away for free as functional or integrative practitioners because the functional the, the foundational things are the things that will probably make the largest difference. So if you want some foundational tips and tricks, um, that's definitely where you can come and check me out and send me a DM. But otherwise, I would just 
so glad to have this conversation, regardless of the length. I think we put a lot into it because there's so much to talk about. Um, and I welcome any questions that come out of this as well. So thank you for having me. I'm grateful, grateful beyond belief. Oh, me too. It's been so lovely. And for those of you who are listening or viewing this, please, please save, subscribe, share, um, leave a comment, leave a testimonial. It helps spread the word. More people can benefit from it when they find it easier. And so I appreciate you tuning in today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, your night, and I'll see you at the next episode. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe and please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. Thank you.